Okay. Uh, welcome, everybody, to what hopefully is the first of uh, many podcasts. Uh, this is Barrett Harkins, uh, together with uh, Garrick Regner in Spain. Hello. I happen to be in Sweden, where as Rome burns, we play the fiddle uh, and <laughs> watch the world burn during this moment of coronavirus. Uh, very different uh, reality for us here in Sweden than everywhere else in the world. Um, so I would love to give you the name of this podcast, but we have not been able to figure that out yet. Uh, we It is a working title at the moment. Yeah. Uh I think right now our best bet is uh, rabbit trails. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Because we are we are definitely looking at trying to uh, keep this a varied and sundry podcast of basically what follows any conversation that we uh, have ever had, Garrick. Yeah, just 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 like a just like a talk show, right? You know, just like Johnny Carson, he would have actors come on, comedians. Uh, you know, entertainers, singers, musical guests, but also the lady with the p- potato chip collection. You know, I, who, so. who, who exactly in, the, in this scenario is the person with the potato chips, though? <laughs> well, I, we have to find those people. <laughs> <laughs> or find the expertise in that. So awesome. it, it, could, it, could, it could be anyone. We don't know. <laughs> we're, we're just, we're not limiting ourselves. That's right. Well, Garrick, for, for those of you who, uh, for those out there who don't know you, uh, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, uh, where you come from, how long have you been in Spain, all that jazz. Yeah, so uh, I am from Texas. Woo-hoo. I've been living in Spain uh, for almost 15 years, working with Crew. My wife and I are the campus directors for Crew in Spain, also known as Agape. Um, let's see, three kids, uh, 15, 12, and 7. And uh, went to SMU, Go Ponies, uh, with, studied English and history. Then uh, Dallas Seminary, uh, and then I have a doctorate in, or a demon, a doctorate of ministry, uh, a doctor of the church is what they, they kept telling us, uh, from George Fox, or actually Portland Seminary. It was associated with George Fox University, but it's now called Portland Seminary. You know, with that, with that doctoral degree, I think at some point you might be called into a hospital to treat patients with uh, the, <laughs> the way things are going. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Uh, you know, so, so the good news of this uh, podcast is several fold. Uh, you are a Texan and I am a Texan. And that yes. means that we will be right on everything. Most likely, yes. Uh, so you did go to A&M though, so. Yeah, well, that only makes me more qualified to make yeah. comments on barbecue. Yeah. What's the, well, what's the joke? What do you, you know? What do you call a, a Texas A&M graduate in in ten years? What's that? Boss. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. That's, that was the joke. Everyone had all the A and M jokes back yeah. in the day, but but then they realized, well, they all they all ended up being in charge of stuff. So yeah, you know, it's uh, I had a uh, so I I am so I grew up in Houston and uh, I went to Texas A and M, got my uh, small business and entrepreneurship degree. And I, I had a, uh, I had a professor. It was a great class. And, uh, he actually pointed out that, um, that, um, most people who ruled the world had about a 2.5 GPA. And, uh, that gave me much <laughs> satisfaction because uh, I was headed in that direction, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so college, I, college is overrated. It's still that's, overrated. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. So for my, my story, uh, yeah. So, uh, I, Went to Texas A&M and uh, directly after that uh, went overseas to Central Asia where I spent a number of years and then North Africa 
And now I've been in Sweden for the last 13 years, uh, where I serve as the national director for, for crew in Sweden. And, uh, which maybe I shouldn't have said crew because now I feel like, uh, uh, I'm associating crew's name with, uh, anything terrible that I do. Sorry, crew. <laughs> well, there's good, risks in love. The good news <laughs> is I'm on a forgotten outpost, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one knows, no one knows where you are right now. <laughs> Oh goodness! Well, uh, man, I'm listen. I'm excited. And you're doing your doing your masters in. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing. I'm finishing up actually in May. So. Oh sweet. Yeah, I was going to be heading back. I had to go back to finish up this one class, but that's been canceled. Uh, so yeah. actually, I've had over five thousand dollars worth of plane flights canceled in this last. Oh man! In this last six months, or for the next six months, or whatever. It's yeah. brutal. It's so brutal. I'm, get, gotta, I'm the, getting all that back, but. Yeah, but the airline industry, those poor people, I mean, yeah. holy cow. Yeah, no, the government's really going to have to bail them out. There's nothing that can be done about that. Yeah. Well, Garrick, okay, so I'm excited about this because uh, you and I have, have talked about the idea of doing for a years. podcast for years, uh, literally years. Like we would see each other at various conferences or at our uh, Christmas in Granada annual meeting mm -hmm. and say, we should really do that. And the reality is, is that... <clears throat> it took coronavirus shutting the world down for us yeah. to go, okay, now we can do uh, something that isn't so urgent and yeah. uh, maybe that wastes people's time. Hopefully it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it enriches yeah. their lives. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where we, you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. We have wives who are busy. So it's always, it's hard to find that, but yeah, now things are a little bit calmer in some ways, which, you know, I think it might be one of the good, things about coronavirus is I know you said a few times is the ability to stop and kind of slow down and uh and rethink life rethink things rethink what you're doing maybe even do some stuff you've 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 never gotten to do which is which to be honest with you every, everyone seems to just want to run and do stuff right now and yeah. get really busy but we don't even know what's going to happen <clears throat> and so mm -hmm. I, I think it's good to be prepared and, and to think about things that we can do but I don't, i'm not sure we Especially when, you, when we've all got kids at home now, uh, you know, maybe, maybe now is not the time to, you know, launch plans into action. That'll probably get me into trouble too with with people. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, hey, listen, you've got good backing here. Mark Gothier said in his uh, campus connection uh, talk the other day, he said, "Hey, look, I think this is a great time to slow down and get rid of the hurry." And uh, I think yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in that. I really appreciate a lot of saying wisdom. that. So. Um, me too. So if Mark is saying it, I think we're, I think we're, we're, we're covered, man. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's <laughs> no, but I, I do think that this is, it's really interesting. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about pivot and what to do and uh, you know, being an activist organization that, that crew or agape throughout the world, as it's called in, as it's called in, in Europe, uh, we're an organization that's made of people who want to do. Yeah, uh, Activator probably is in the top five or at least the top 10 of ev nearly every staff, right? If yeah. we're talking about strength finders. And uh, so I can't tell you how many emails I get of, of people with Activator just kicked in. And the Activator is my yeah. number three. So I'm all about activation. But the, the reality is, is in a moment like this, sometimes it's just good to go, okay, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to think about what's important. And yeah. something that I've actually been, I was talking with some guys last night on a, on a, uh, a Zoom call. And uh, we were talking about, you know, this is a moment for us to really kind of do a, an inventory of our lives and check and see, am I producing godly character, right? Because yeah. 
like yourself, your kids are, are being homeschooled. My kids are still in school. They're young enough in Sweden. That school hasn't been canceled yet. Um, but, you know, we know our, our good friend in Portugal, Mike Schatzman, you know, they're homeschooling. And yeah. man, y'all's day is, is just a bunch of homeschooling, you know, and, yeah. and, and how, much, how productive can a person be during homeschooling? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what's more important, uh, starting uh, 37 Zoom calls with a few students or loving your kids really well and producing the fruit of the spirit during this time. So take that for yeah. what it's worth, I guess. Exactly. But I, I don't know. I think there's some, hopefully some wisdom in it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And also, you know, our kids, we don't, it's hard to see what they're doing stress-wise also because they're going through some crazy stuff as well. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And they're not necessarily able to process it all. And so it, it's important in our wives are, as well. And even maybe just close friends. I like, I'm just wondering, I've, I've been thinking about some of my good friends in the States, you know, uh, and like, how are they doing? You know, could yeah. I give them a call or just send in a text maybe and make sure they're okay? Uh, you know, but, but, but it is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm not a homeschooler. We did not homeschool until the, the government of Spain said we had to homeschool. Uh, so I don't, you know, so, th- so that it's, it's hard. It's a big, it's a steep learning curve. And, uh, and usually I don't, you know, I think a lot of kids don't respond well to, to their parents trying to help them learn to read in, in, in that kind of level yeah, in totally. another language. And so just a lot of levels of stuff. And, you know, I think, I, you know, maybe in some, you know, it's a, it's a gift of time to be together as a family to just to slow down. I think yeah. I was talking to one of our staff, she's Spanish and she just joined staff like her second month on staff. And this is how it, you know, how it hits. <laughs> and she was saying actually been really good for her. And unfortunately her husband is like in France and he can't come back because, oh, um, but she's using it to, to read the Bible to do training, to, to learn, you know, she's, it's a really rich time for her because she has, you know, finally some time alone to, to really dig into stuff. And so I think that's another area of, of trying to do something that you can, you wouldn't normally be able to have the time to do, but that could develop you as well uh, and help you grow and not necessarily feel like you have to have, you know, maybe, maybe a plan and, you know, to check off and feel bad totally. that you didn't. Uh, so self-care maybe is also a thing that will help Gosh, I, I think it's so true. I know for me, uh, I made some big changes in the last uh, six months. And uh, for me, when I started slowing down, um, it was a long time before the noise stopped of the feeling, the anxiousness exactly. that I felt on days that I would take off or whatever else, because I, I was so used to moving. And I can't imagine how many people are adjusting to that reality right now. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a huge reality, right? Um, so I think for the Christian walking in the spirit, I think is about the best goal that anyone can have. Uh, I don't, although I don't know if God thinks in terms of goals, that's, that's a kind of a new thing that I'm on right now. So the word goals, I I was listening to a podcast the other day, by the way, for those that don't know me, uh, my millions of hours of listening to podcasts means that I am now an expert on all things podcast. Um, yes, (laughs) except how to do one, but, uh, (laughs) but I've listened to millions of hours of podcasts, I think, uh, but anyway, uh, I was listening to a podcast and one guy had done some research on the word goal and you can do this on Google books. And, um, the word goals doesn't show up, uh, in literature, at least American English literature. 
uh, until kind of around the turn of the century, early 1900s. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, it's this exponential growth. It was like before 1900, no one ever thought of the word goals. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of burst out of nowhere, and it kind of it captures the mind of our, our collective minds. Um, yeah. So I've been kind of thinking through, huh, am I driven more by I want to have the character of Christ, or do I have goals? And yeah. uh, so then to put those two together, I don't know. I'm, it's a, it's kind of a, we can riff on that another day maybe. Um, but it's a, anyway. Well, if God has goals, he's horrible at them. <laughs> I mean, that's, okay, do, do, that do, would be, do tell. <laughs> I mean, that would be the, because, you know, clearly, you know, it, it took him a, you know, several thousand years to get, you know, his plan in action. That's right. And then he, he picked literally the worst, the worst people to do it. You know, yeah, you and myself, a bunch too. of uneducated fishermen, you know, you know, a corrupt tax collector and some women, you know, sorry, that wasn't meant to be like a reflection on what I think about women, but in the time <laughs> period of it was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. was not your best, this was not your best group of people. Uh, you know, so I, 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 I think you're onto something there. I think obviously it's, it's the waters we swim in as sure. in the leadership while. So having goals and it isn't as a bad thing, but I think, or, you know, a lot of the strategic thinking, I think it's all, it's all positive, but I, I think you do have to go back and go, wait, but, uh, you know, we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. So right. obviously God's got a big plan here. Right. But totally. if, you, if you look at it from the standpoint of strategic planning and goals and everything, it's not, it's not good. He didn't do yeah. Yeah. Which is to say, maybe our, our perspectives of things is often way off. Totally. Totally. Well, okay. So I'm going to switch gears here. Sure. Uh, so we have talked about, um, at length, you and I, great length, uh, you and I recently walked a portion of, I won't say the whole thing, but a a small portion of the Camino de Santiago in Northern Spain. Um, and for those that don't know, was it five days or six? I think it's five days. Was it five days of walking? Yeah. We accidentally added on like 20 kilometers. That was pretty epic. That was epic. Uh, yeah. So, so Garrett, can you, can you, and, and, and it is a pilgrimage in the Northern of Spain, in the North of Spain. Um, Garrett, for context, can you, could you explain a little bit more about what the Camino de Santiago is? And then uh, you and I are going to riff for a little while on reflections on pilgrimage. Uh, it actually is what you did your, your doctoral work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you provide a lot of, of good insight into that. So have at it. Okay, I'll try to be brief uh, because when you when you study something, you you could talk forever. Well, Garrick, um, at this at this point <laughs> at this point we have zero listeners. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. So you're not but driving was... anyone. No one's turning it off. No one's here, man. It's just you and me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we hope that someone will listen. But yes, the, the Camino. Is, so pilgrimage, right? Uh, you know, pilgrimage is part of pretty much any culture throughout time. But Christian pilgrimage. Uh, originally was meant to help you understand and grow closer to Jesus, right? That was the the core. People would go to Jerusalem to see where Jesus had lived, where he had, and where he was resurrected. And that would give you, that was, you know, starting in the 300s. So that then spurned into like, you, well, okay, it's also good to go visit places where famous saints are buried or where famous things happened. Um, uh, and, uh, and try to help, uh, people grow in their faith and that that got a little bit corrupted and and uh you know by the by the by the institution of the church over time 
the Camino de Santiago uh, is it's it's based around uh, that the idea that the some of the body of Saint James or all the body of, of James uh, was found outside the hills of, of Santiago de Bay in uh, like seventh or eighth century. I'm not good with dates. And so there, a cathedral was built like in, in Catholic history uh, would usually, and you would have his relics in there, and people would come and visit. And then it kind of uh, kind of became the big the big pilgrimage for people um, uh, during the. I mean, pilgrimage was huge in the Middle Ages, and then well into you know the Renaissance and and beyond. But um, Camino de Santiago, the Way of Saint James, became one of the, the main. Uh, most important pilgrimages of, uh, of European history. Um, and so, you know, thousands of people would come every year. Uh, for instance, Francis of Assisi, he walked the Camino de Santiago. Kings I didn't know that. Kings and queens would do it. Yeah, yeah. Kings and queens really would cool. do that. Yeah. So, so that's how it, it, it kind of it died out, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, after the Reformation and, and some other things happened, uh, you know, modernism so it kind of died out until i think like the 50s or 60s uh maybe even the 70s i need to look back there was a, there was Not, a resurgence under frank franco so there's a great podcast yeah. uh, that a guy did on really, on yeah. the history of franco and his involvement with it but back then it wasn't people walking it it was uh it was actually they were doing bus tours so they would just bus uh, yeah. people in it was a way of kind yeah. of go more or less just going to santiago was the big thing yeah uh, yeah, which is a lot of pilgrimages nowadays are just that. You just yeah. get on a plane and a bus and you go see it. Right. Whereas this one had somehow, I think I need to do a bit of research about that. But, I, you know, there's some people who finally said, wait, 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 we should be walking this. Like, um, and, and, uh, and I know there was an association that started painting the arrows, you know, started doing things to help people. Because I, I don't think the trail was in or the trails were in good use at the time. And so they had to, uh, some, some guy started doing the yellow arrows, you know, they started paying, this is the way. And, uh, and then this kind of started snowballing. And now Barry, you, you know, the actual figures, uh, you've looked at them more recently, but how many, how many people walk it a year? Yeah. You know, it's in total, it depends on the year, but last year was close to 350,000 people. Yeah. Of course there's yeah. what, at like least. 20 or 20 or yeah, at least those are the ones who get registered by the time that, they, so they turn in their credentials, their little, yeah. A lot of uh, people don't pilgrim passport. Yeah. And so if you think it in that terms, you're probably close to 500,000 people that yeah. are walking that thing, uh, which is, yeah. which is incredible to think about the number of people who are out walking. Uh, you know, some people take, you know, I know I was doing some research and some people take, you know, they'll take like, uh, you know, five days a year and they'll start from France. Cause it's, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you could actually start in Paris from what I understand. Uh, you could, the, well, t- I mean, that was typically pilgrimage started on your front door. Okay. That was historically what you did, because you, you didn't, you know, in the Middle Ages, you couldn't get on a plane, right? You know, and there was no taxi that was going to come and pick you up and take you, you know. So you just you there walked were no out your front cart door. taxis. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like pro- probably you walked down to your cathedral, your 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 home cathedral, and started there. Is probably yeah. okay. But uh, it, it just right here, right next to our house, about a kilometer up in where my kids go to school, is where you can actually officially start. The, pil- the pilgrimage from Granada, which is a, you know, it's a long, long walk. You got to walk through Sevilla and then up north. So, you know, there's still the, this idea that and you'll meet people who have started it in Italy or in Poland. I've met people who started it in Poland and walked Gosh, all the way. Um, yeah, it's not, that's, that's insane. They're a little bit different people. Well, yeah, well, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. some people are. So, so, okay. So we walked, we, we, and a group of, uh, how many, how many were we? Were we a total of seven guys? We're seven. Seven. Yeah. So five other guys uh, got to walk it uh, in honor of D.E. 
and uh, David Earl. David Earl. And uh, his 50th birthday. He put it together, but uh, we all walked it together. And uh, man, I, I have known about the, the Camino for years, um, being in Europe and knowing that the uh, Agape Spain had a pilgrim house there, which practices radical hospitality and serving the pilgrims that walk through and loving on them, sharing Christ. Really cool stuff. But I tell you what, to walk it uh, in some ways, I would I would go insofar as to say it changed my life. Um, so I have walked across the river from Uzbekistan to Afghanistan, the Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I have I have done crazy things in my life, and I hold this up there. It might be number one as far as the experiences that I've had. Uh, there is something. It's so hard to explain. Um, you know, we, we were just talking about the the noise, right. That, that settles, uh, and it's kind of disturbing, but when you go on the Camino there, it's just you and your thoughts or the people you're walking with. And so I literally felt like, uh, I went into that time pretty, pretty exhausted, uh, lots on my mind. Uh, the nature of the people I was walking with, of course, were first class, but I tell you what, what, what happened in that time and the things that were melting off, uh, of me was just just incredible, and then of course the the joy of walking into Santiago with you guys and the the brotherhood that was that was started there. But it started it started. You and I had some incredible conversations during that time, and then of course with your doctoral work. Um, but the idea that in this postmodern, liquid modern, post Christian, mm-hmm. whatever world we're in, and that's gonna that's gonna vary depending upon the society that you find yourself in. Like right, so like postmodernism or current modernism in Sweden looks very different necessarily than it does in Spain because of different mm-hmm. cultural milieu that, that, that we find ourselves in. But the reality is, is there's something there in a pilgrimage that, that something special happens. And, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. It, it, you have reflected greatly on the idea of pilgrimage being a way to reach out to the world. So yeah, it, Without making people read your dissertation, which I yeah, think I way. have read and I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. You're very, you're very kind. <laughs> so I think there's, there's what now at least five people that have read that. Um, yeah, but, but, but I will say I, I think it was fantastic, and I think everyone should read oh, it. Thanks. But uh, but how do you how would you sum it up when you think about pilgrimage in the framework of that? How it works for the life of a Christian. Um, mm-hmm. and then how, it, how it's a good metaphor for our life as Christians, but then also mm-hmm. as far as even as an, a tool of reaching out to the world that we currently are, I would say our context that we're in in secular, modern, postmodern, liquid modern world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great question. Um, so I think, you know, if you think about <clears throat> movement going from point A to point B, this is a fundamental human experience, I would say. Uh, throughout the Bible, I mean, just read the Old Testament, people are constantly moving and God is constantly moving people from point A to point B or sometimes point A to, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. Um, (laughs) You know, so I mean, which, you know, which were, and even, you know, when, uh, when, when the people of God are not doing well, they're kicked out of the land, right? They're moved to Babylon to wherever. So there's this constant yearning of going somewhere of movement Jesus is always on the move. Paul was always on the move. They were always going somewhere, seeking something. You know, Jesus was a pilgrim also, right? So I think, I think there's something deep down in this that movement has meaning. And I, th- I think that probably comes from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we, we just started watching again, showing our kids the um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is just about guys going some, and they also don't know. It's a, it's a huge pilgrimage these guys yeah. are on, obviously with, with tremendous stakes, uh, tremendous meaning. But you look at that and you're like, holy cow, these guys, this is, you know, and obviously Tolkien was tapping into something there, right? You know, yeah. this long yeah. epic that eventually ends and then is, is concluded. And so I think the Camino for, for I think maybe a deep uh, desire in, in humanity is this sense of meaning and movement. So you're, 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 you've chosen, you know, we do, we travel, right? We all go on vacations. We all love that. Yeah. We do that more than ever. Um, but now I think the, the Camino or, a, so even if you're a non-Christian or, you know, kind of a nominal uh, faith person, it's whether you know it or not, once you get in that, that, I don't know, um, that journey, uh, meaning is is attached to it. You're experiencing things, and and you're you're experiencing a very human. I think uh, what we experience, we, we all ha- want to go somewhere, right? And deep yeah. down, right? For as Christians, we we're headed to a, an eternal kingdom. We're we're headed to something that has ultimate meaning and love, and and so people in the Camino, Christian or not, are are trying to get to Santiago. They don't. Every day you wake up, you don't know typically how you're going to get there. You know you're going on the right way. You might get lost. You might. You don't know where you're going to eat lunch. You don't know where you're going to eat dinner. You don't. You sometimes don't. You know. Now it's a little different with you know everyone books ahead and apps and stuff, which is one reason I really push for is let's not plan too much ahead. Let's just go and have to find a place. Yeah. Know. Hey. By the way, next time we do it, which we will all do it again uh, sometime soon when all this settles down, uh, I want to do it the way that blind couple did it. Right. Yeah. So we, okay. we so, yeah. that, <laughs> so okay, that. so we're we're walking this thing, right? <laughs> oh, one yeah. day. And there is literally a blind couple walking on their own in their seventies. Yeah. She can barely see, he can't see a thing. They've both got sticks and they're walking the Camino de Santiago. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out that one of them had a Google app that would tell them where to turn and how many meters and everything else. And they would just listen to that app and they were walking the Camino by themselves. Yeah. It was yeah. incredible. You talk, yeah. you talk about a, a journey of, of discovery of yourself and change. And I mean, just, I, wow. It was, that yeah. was, a, that was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We, we met a lot of people like that and you meet a lot of interesting, crazy uh, I don't want to say crazy, but just crazy stories, but people who are just fascinating. And, yeah. and the Camino is, is, is uh, this kind of journey that's imbued with that kind of meaning, I think. Like, yeah. not, not just the Camino, but any, I think any type of journey. But I think the Camino, because it's a pilgrimage, it's, it's essentially Christian, the way it's formed, it, it brings all that out that maybe we don't get in a lot of our, other our journeys when we go to see the Eiffel Tower or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, recently, I was on a plane. I was on Norwegian. And uh, I think I was probably coming to Spain for something. But it wasn't. It must have been in December when, when we saw each other uh, for, for that. Uh, I was down there for a conference. And, um, you know, I thought it was fascinating. Norwegian did a five-page story on what they were calling pilgrimage tourism. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like, hey, go to see the Eiffel Tower. It was experience driven, all these different trails that you could follow. And one of them, of course, was the, was the, uh, was the Camino trail, but there were all the, also all of these that are, uh, old Christian pilgrim trails in like Norway mm-hmm. and Denmark yeah. and Sweden and, um, and all these different places and what it, what it highlighted. And I think that this is where the Camino, the real 
interesting part of the Camino comes out and where the, really the idea of pilgrimage, what God does with us when we step yeah. outside our front door, kind of, you know, if you want to quote uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you step outside your front door. Um, yeah. But, but the reality being is that they were saying um, the beauty of pilgrimage is not that you're you're eating something that you're but you're changing you are you yep. are literally changing as a person so this was a secular airline that was yeah. writing an article and they're usually not the most in-depth articles that yeah, i've ever seen yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was incredibly insightful saying you will be changed uh and so it's it's amazing to me what god does if you think about specifically abraham and his pilgrimage here's a dude who gets called out of ur of the chaldees and follows God. I mean, you got to give it to that, right? And he goes on this yeah. pilgrimage, but he's a disaster, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. He's like you and I in his faith. His faith journey isn't, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham goes, got it. I'm, I'm good. I trust you. No, his, his faith journey is he tries to sell his, his wife, uh, you know, or not sell his wife, but give times. away his wife numerous times. Yeah. You know, he does all these things are just pretty terrible. Uh, But then as God step for step, as he continues to have faith in journey towards a land that he trusts God is going to show him and he trusts that God is going to fulfill his promise over time, eventually when God says, go and sacrifice your son, he goes, okay, I got it. And and that, so that faith journey, that pilgrimage that goes through, and then you, of course, you see that through, you see it less so through Israel, but the idea of Israel's pilgrimage, and there are certainly elements, Joshua being one of them, that the faith journey taught them a lot, right? And we talk about faith journey a lot, but I, I, you know, it's interesting here in Sweden. So for those who are, who are uh, familiar with, with uh, crew or agape, we have a tool called Solarian and uh, which was developed more or less in Spain. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah, name drop for Spain. What people don't realize yep. is what Spain has given the world. And I, this is just the first thing I, I want to say. <laughs> Spain has blessed the world yeah. with so much. Uh, but, but anyway, so this tool is a series of 50 pictures, and there's five questions that are associated with these pictures. And so you pick a picture to answer the questions. So describe your life right now. What do you, one picture to describe uh, your view of God, one, one picture to describe your spiritual journey. Okay, so. That word in Sweden makes no sense to any Swede, Christian mm-hmm. or non, that I have yeah. ever had do that survey. We, mm-hmm. we don't have a really good example because they don't consider their lives a spiritual journey. So we, we talk about a lot of that, about, a lot about that in, in, uh, in certain cultures. And that to me says a culture that can recognize I'm on a spiritual journey is a, in some sense, a Christ haunted place. It doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't, they could be Buddhist and recognize a spiritual journey, but in some mm-hmm. sense, it means they're awakened to something deeper. But, yeah. but part of the issue with secular Europe is that a lot of Europe doesn't, doesn't think they're on a spiritual journey. So yeah. your average yeah. Swede that I talk to, when you say, what's your spiritual journey, they would go, what? Spiritual. Yeah. It's like what? you said, it's like you said, do you, do you walk your dog or take the bus? Right. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's or I mean not even that or do do you do you eat ducks with with honey? I mean it just it, it's a it's a it's a non it's a non sequitur to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean we've had we um one 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 of our staff in Stockholm uh, said that they were talking to a girl one time and and uh, she was she was a Christian girl and she said talking about Christ in public or talking about my spiritual life, uh, it's a lot more comfortable than talking about my period. 
or a lot uh, more uncomfortable than <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. My, yeah. My period. Yeah. And that just yeah. says something about that. That's my culture or that's my context yeah. that I'm in, but this idea. So what, what you see though, on the Camino, I had an incredible conversation with this one girl who is, um, she was Hungarian, but lived in London and was walking the Camino for a month. And we asked her, you know, say, well, are you, you know, are you, can you consider yourself religious? She's just like, no, not at the beginning of this. And that was, that was the way she, she stated it. And she says, I've mm-hmm. gone along and as I've seen these things, I'm, I'm starting to ask some questions. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what this idea of pilgrimage, when you get people out and they're along a journey, if you can help surround them with a context of you're on a journey, then they start to see, oh yeah, maybe I am. Maybe there's more to this than just a trail to walk or whatever else. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's so it's it's kind of I think for a lot of people it awakens uh, spirituality. Yeah, I think for us as Christians walking it, <clears throat> it was the ability to go deeper mm. uh, and to and to live. I, I would say I would say pilgrimage is a is a living walking metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for for life for every for for where we're going as humans. And so I think for us, <clears throat> you know, for, for secular people. It's it's an opportunity for them to to, to awaken to uh, things that maybe they haven't delved in into their own lives spiritually, um, and then if they are able to connect that to um, to God, to Jesus, to the to to the way, right? That's the way mm-hmm. of saying the Camino, which is also which means the way, and uh, you know, to the way. Then that, that's a great thing for for us. I think it just helps us know the because it's so rich. It's just the whole experience is just imbued with so much spiritual metaphor and reality. So I would say metaphor in the sense of the idea of arriving as a people, as a group to, uh, to a final destination that you've been hoping to get to. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one thing, but then within all that's a metaphor, but then with all the other stuff of, of growing closer as friends in Christ as being able to spend time praying and, be able to even uh, spend time serving people. The, the the interesting story about the blind couple was one of the guys on our walk uh, was a firefighter, but also a guy who wanted to help people, and he was able to to, to kind of come alongside that blind couple for for you know maybe an hour or two and help them as, so, as they crossed a busy a busy road, I mean, the highway. Basically, he made it, he made a beeline to him. That was that was absolutely crazy. That was yeah, that yeah. highway was insane for for a yeah, blind couple because yeah. there's parts of I mean, people get killed. It's not. Yeah it's not as dangerous as it used to be. Right. So they have all these hospitals and, and <laughs> along the way. Cause uh, you know, five, 600 years ago, uh, you know, almost a thousand years ago you left, you didn't know if you were coming back. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, so it was a big risk, but nowadays you most likely know you're coming back, but you know, there's some accidents, things happen. I've had a friend, she got her nose broken on the Camino. I mean, you know, it's not, it's, it's strenuous work, you know? And so people get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really helped me to, I'm, I'm really even thinking about the idea of, okay, the old granted with, so one of the things that we face in in culture today, um, I think America is facing this Europe has more or less already gone through it, but is still facing it in some, in some ways. But the idea that, that the culture at large has left the Christian ideal uh, behind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, there's no more, there's not a whole lot of Christ haunted places left or those places are decreasing. Um, yeah. And so what I mean by, I, let me explain what I mean by Christ haunted. It's a term that uh, Tim Keller uses quite a bit, but 
this idea that that uh, let's say 1950s America, you could walk into someone on the street and you could say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And while the idea that God loves me might be a little bit radical, the idea that there was a God was not objectionable. Yeah. And yeah. And so that's what Christ haunted is. You're re-clarifying the gospel to someone so that they can take it and intuit it or internalize it and then make it a part of their life and hopefully believe it or whatever. Um, exactly. But nowadays, like, for example, in my, in my context, um, if you take a, a tool like the four spiritual laws and law one is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, um, the, the problem isn't law one or law two or law three or law four. The problem is literally word one, God. That's where, you know, so much of the conversation occurs. So, but the idea, so monastic communities uh, have have had a a rise in their interest these days because of now, I think some of it, like the book, um, what is it? The Benedict uh, Solution or the Benedict Option. Benedict that, yeah. that, that one, I, I think he goes a little bit extreme and basically is saying we need to pull out from society. And basically, once society wakes up, they'll call us back, I think is, it's, it's, yeah, I might yeah. be a little bit someone who is read, or someone might have a different opinion on that than, than I do. Um, and I want to go back through that book. But I think that's my understanding of it. So I'm not saying that that would be a good idea, but this idea that the monastic communities, pilgrimage did come out of the monastic communities. Uh, Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it was very influenced by it as well. Um, You know, because, so those, those things have kind of similar uh, connecting points. And, and if you later on, it's it's another conversation as to get into monasticism and pilgrimage and particularly in Ireland. Yeah. uh, And how that re, you know, that became a big, uh, big movement, big missional, missionary movement, really. And, and so pilgrimage actually at some points connects into monasticism, which connects into missions. And these things are kind of, you know, kind of crossing in and out of each other at, at various times through church history. Right. And so that, that's, that, that actually last point of kind of the Irish monasticism and the pilgrimage in, in the, the, the joining of those or the, or the, let's say intersectionality of them mm-hmm. uh, to, to, culturally appropriate the word. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I actually think that for me, that's become really interesting. Um, and I think actually is beginning to show a little bit of the way for us in Sweden um, that let's get people on some kind of journey. Mm-hmm. And while yeah. you're engaged with something, some kind of, because I, I I can walk up to someone and I can say, hey, Jesus died for your sins. And first of all, they say, you're crazy. They look at me like I believe the world is flat. Uh, Second of all, they say, I don't have sins. Uh, I don't really feel bad about who I am. And I actually think that the idea of someone else dying for me uh, is, is repulsive. (laughs) So, so, so in that sense, I've got a lot of things against me, but if we can get on a journey with someone there then becomes that ability to be able to process with someone the gospel over a longer yeah. period of time. Uh, and paradigms can shift. It teaches us a lot about who we are as we're going to uh, in a world that's much more, let's say, geared toward authenticity uh, that we are today. That seems a lot more, let's say, authentic to me uh, in, in some ways. And so I, I haven't completely landed yet. Like you said, I think it's a, it's a discussion maybe – maybe we could do another even podcast on it, but this idea that, that the monastic communities, one withdrew the, in the beginning, one withdrew from the world to be re-engaged with the world. Yeah. And yeah. for me, pilgrimage, see one seeing 
my life as a pilgrimage that helps me to understand these things. But then an actual pilgrimage has this opportunity to remove me from the world for a moment so that I can re-engage with the world in a different, in a different level and a meaningful level. Yeah. Amen to that. I think, cause that's, I think that's exactly the driving point of monasticism or, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to say, you know, monasticism has a very long history and, a, and, and very, um, sure diverse and varied history they gave but us beer it, it, they gave us beer and you know and a lot a lot of great stuff <laughs> cookies in spain they may all make cookies still uh but um but the idea was that, that the preeminence is your relationship with with christ right yeah. that is the preeminent thing you can be doing uh now how you do that is different from from group to group but that's what they said and so they understood to serve the world to be in the world and to really help it you have to be connected to god through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That was what their, their mission was. And then, and almost, but there's most mission, uh, monastic organizations quickly become missional or were missional right. from the very start. And I mean, maybe you look at um, Mother Teresa, right? And her movement. But the idea, you're, you're exactly right. Withdraw from the world, focus on prayer, on our relationship with Jesus, so we can then go out and be powerful. Uh, and also, obviously, you know, get rid of the family issue because that that's something that will keep you, hold you back. Um, uh, or the marriage issue, you know. Hey, talk talk about your own family, man. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna slow you the down good, because the, good, know, the you, good news is the good news is no one in our families will actually listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> our well, wives are singularly unimpressed with our thoughts. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I would even suggest in a in a certain way, crew, it's kind of a monastic organization, right? Yeah. I mean, in some in some ways, it, it is because it's a group that said we're going to focus on our relationship. We're not going to cut ourselves off and go live in, you know, uh, convents or you know or you know specified communities. But we have a very strong element of community. We have a very strong element of we have to be tied in Jesus, and we go out. Yeah. So I mean, that that kind of I mean, I think those you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, Bill Bright did an amazing idea. The whole parachurch thing is a great idea, but it's kind of the same thing as. Monasticism. Someone saw something and said, there's a huge knee here. The church isn't doing it. I'm going to go start my own thing. That's part of it. Separate and has a lot of freedom, but is also, is also has, you know, I, I think in some sense, it's an evangelical monastic organization. Hmm. That's, that's, that's actually a the theory. Yeah. That's yeah. a, that's a fascinating thought. You got, there, there's your second doctoral. Yeah. <laughs> your postdoc post work, man. Was, you know, you know, what's interesting is uh, on that, the only question that remains is should we be getting monastic style haircuts? That's, that's, yes. real, that's really what we need to decide <laughs> at this point. Uh, no, how many, how many people are brewing their own beer? I, I, it's probably significant number. You know, when I first joined staff. staff, I think that number was quite low. But as yes. time has gone yes. on, I think that that number has has increased. At, at the same, when you got your degree at DTS, uh, at least those who might have partaken in alcohol kept it a secret. Nowadays, it's it's yeah. uh, a, out in the open. Yeah. Well, back then it was for um, celebratory moments only, and that was new. That was new. They finally let you say, well, at a at a wedding. Or I think they even said some kind of stipulation of culturally appropriate. Like if you were, you know, if yeah, you're right. doing ministry in Italy and the pastor brings out some wine, don't be the, don't be the guy. Don't, don't no. be that guy. Don't be that guy. 
You know, that was always a, a hard thing for me when I lived in Central Asia, because you'd always have these, uh, you know, you, you'd go over to someone's house and, uh, and you'd have the Russian or even to, to be honest, a Central Asian dude uh, walk in and it was just like shots of vodka for everybody. Yeah. And here yeah. they see me, this young, big Texan, and they think you should be drinking tons. And I'd be like, no. And thankfully, uh, because of a Muslim <laughs> context, they understood a religious person who, who didn't who didn't drink a whole lot. And I don't, I don't find vodka particularly uh, appetizing, but uh, yeah, anyway. So th- those were always interesting situations for me. Although that, sheep's a, eyeballs. Now those are things I would never say no to. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that I had a friend who worked in Kyrgyzstan. He, he, he told me a lot of stories about sheep's eyeballs. Yeah. They do a lot. That they was, do a lot more the, uh, sheep's eyeballs in Kyrgyzstan than where I was. Yeah. Not to go down too, too much of a rabbit trail, uh, but since we're called, we might be called rabbit trails. You know, I, I saw this, uh, the, you know, no reservation, no, no reservation was um, parts unknown, Tony Bourdain's show, and he yeah. went to Georgia, like Georgia yeah. and the former Soviet Union. And he, Tony Bourdain's a pretty drinker, and he obviously had problems with narcotics, but he was like, the Georgians, like, drink so much. So, <laughs> oh I, 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 yeah, he's like, I, he's like, this is too much. <laughs> it's like, he's just like, it was just everywhere he went, you know. So, I, I think it's that whole former Soviet Union, I mean, our Russians can, yeah. That's like that's like a Texan going. I don't know, man. They eat a lot of barbecue there. They eat a lot of barbecue. <laughs> yeah. like, oh wow, you might you might you might have killed it. Hey, speaking of, speaking of uh, of barbecue, uh, yes. So th- this is this is both tangential and uh, maybe it pertains to pilgrimage. I could actually probably weave it in, but I'm I'm not going to. You is a is a proud Texan. Uh, love the uh, low and slow meat. Uh, best barbecue joint in all of Texas that you've been to? Um, best one. So, I mean, I haven't been to that many because you, when you're there, you can't take as many pilgrimages. That's true. Places, you can't right? take it's any like, chances. You got to go to the, the tried and true. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's tricky. So Cadillac is where we would go. Like okay. whenever we're home, we go there once a year. Cause you have to get in line. It's, 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 a, it's expensive. Uh, but it's, it's, it's worth it. You, you get enough meat for three or four days that'll last you in it. But Cadillac and <laughs> Dallas, what about, what about you? What's your, what's your place? Well, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in Houston uh, and I wouldn't say, so barbecue was always popular when I, I've, I've now lived outside of Texas for, for 20 years almost. So it's, it's hard for me to like, so barbecue is in its heyday, right? So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a golden era of yeah, Texas barbecue. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't hit, you know, Franklin barbecue, but I, I recently had Pecan Lodge. Oh yeah. And then I've never a, been there, but that's a yeah, good one. It, Pecan Lodge is really good. Uh, but I also did, um, oh, what's the other one that you like? Salt? No, salt. Salt Lockhart. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Lockhart. And then the same day I actually did one that's in McKinney north of there. Uh, and, uh, I forget the name of it though, and tried them both. And I actually like the set, which is for, for, I like the second one better. I loved Lockhart, but this other one had short ribs that were Ooh. just out of this yeah. world. You know, we, we usually go to Lockhart. That's kind of our place. Cause my wife's dad has his office right down there. His, his, uh, he's a doctor. Yeah. So we, we usually go down there a lot and it's, it's not far from where we live and when we're in back in Dallas and it's just, it's just kind of our go-to place. Sonny, you know, Sonny Brian's is still a pretty good place. Yeah. It's, you know, it's yeah, a cheap, sure. cheaper place, but it's a good, it's a good sell. But if you're like really looking for something that you're just like, Holy, Holy cow, this is yeah. for me, Cadillac. But it's like I said, you just go there once. If you're, if you're in Texas for visiting, you should go. If you're living there yeah, once or twice a year. 
Yeah. You know, so those types of places, cause they're just, they're so good, but they're also, it's a lot of work to get there, yeah. get in line. And then it's, it's expensive. It is. And it, it is a pilgrimage though. Yeah. It's a pilgrimage. It, it's yeah. a, it's a journey of God's love for us. Well, so, so okay. So, so here's, we, we can, barbecue. we can, we can close soon and, and maybe we do our various and sundry another time. But, uh, so I actually do have this, uh, Paul does an interesting thing when he's in Lystra. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they want to make him Zeus, he and, he and Barnabas, Zeus and Hermes. And That's right. Paul, Paul, in order to stop it, he goes into a, a, a speech. He never gets fully through speech. Um, but where he starts and enacts Paul's starting point for the gospel. So uh, former staff guy, uh, um, why am I blanking on his name? Newman. Uh, Randy Newman uh, pointed this out to me and, uh, or pointed out in a talk that I heard and, and uh, I've, I've, it stuck with me, but um, in that speech, he said, God from heaven who has given us good food to eat and drink. Mm-hmm. And so his starting point his introduction into the gospel is think of all the awesome food we have. Yeah. And to be yeah. honest, in, in the context of Europe, I actually think that's one of the best starting places we have Amen. as an yes. entrance point into just helping people to consider you have a really good life and who are you thankful to for it? Are, yeah. you, are you thankful to Volvo? Are you thankful? To, like it's, that, that's some, there's something unsatisfying about that, but a, but a life where we have, I mean, goodness, every time I go to Spain, I just go on Iberian pork overload. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, literally my pores smell like chorizo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, so, might, we might be stress eating here. Too much, uh, pork, uh, right now. So anyway, so we, we should, we should go down that rabbit hole sometime. Or that, I, I uh, think so. I, I think, I mean, I was, we were just, our, I believe, yeah, yeah. Our, our, we were watching, we connected into Highland Park Prez service this, um, Sunday because you know we can't go out so we might as well watch it you know go as many services as we can and and uh gosh I think it was it was Psalm but they were talking about the you know um it might have been in um, Isaiah I can't remember but the the end times right that when when God comes back and he's talking about there will be there will be great food there will be wine <clears throat> but not just wine it's fi- it'll be finished wine so yeah. talking about how that's the expectation of not just like you know kind of a nice nice wine but it's going to be it's going to be good wine and there's something about food. And I think, you know, you and I, we both grew a shadow of like kind of the boomer mass produced chain restaurant kind of, you know, experience where food was, wasn't bad, but we didn't, America had, there was a time period where, where generalized American culture lost its sense of food culture, right? Yeah. That's, that's being yeah. reclaimed. That's being reclaimed. People are realizing, wait a minute, uh, you know, my family comes from Italy and there's all this history and, and yeah, actual, or, yeah, you know, totally. or there's the ethnic groups around me now that I can enjoy their amazing food. And we're, re- we're reclaiming that the, the, the art and the beauty and the of, of food, even our own American culture. Um, so that's exciting too. But I, I, I always feel a little guilt because I, I feel like, well, food should be a little bit more simplified, <laughs> but I don't, I, I think the Bible sometimes is saying, no, 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 no. It is a gift from God no. and it's, yeah. it reflects culture, reflects beauty affects him. And so we should, we should enjoy it. So I have a, I have a proverb and this will come up a lot if, if, you know, in this podcast, um, cause I quote it all the time. You've heard me say it, but, uh, when I was in central Asia, a, uh, Afghan, uh, refugee became a friend of mine. And he once told me something that forever changed my life. He said, in Afghanistan, we say, 
learn another language, earn another soul. And Mm -hmm. the more and more I reflect on that, the more and more I realize one in language, so much is more is communicated than just an idea behind those ideas are the experience of a culture and words are formed in order to express that culture. So the ways and the nuance that, that is in those things. And I think actually food, um, Food is a means by which a, a culture is ultimately reflected. Yeah. Uh, a culture that decides we're going to invest in this whole wine thing, um, that is not a quick it was not a quickly produced thing. It's it's become yeah. quicker produced once Americans got involved out in California, but but yeah. the 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 reality being is, is it takes time and it takes patience. If you think about all of the wonderful good foods that Europe has, most of them take patience. Uh, we could go from yeah. you know manchego cheese all the way to um, <laughs> uh, there, there's a there's a Swedish dish that actually if you open it up indoors makes you throw up, <laughs> <laughs> and it's because that the the fish is actually rotting and and it produces yeah. this gas. Uh, and, uh, anyway, it tastes a lot better than, than it, uh, smells. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I think, I think there's a lesson there to actually, to be yeah. in the, let's say missional activity of helping to understand who a culture is, is understanding the food and looking around. So there's a great show, um, that my wife and I watched. It was on PBS. It's called a chef's life. Have you ever seen it? You know, I think I might have seen, I know Z's probably seen my, my wife, uh, I just referenced her, but, um, has probably seen that. Uh, one of those, I think. I've seen it on PBS. We, we you know, have the Apple TV PBS app. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Chef's Life. Yeah, so it's awesome. You should you should totally watch it um, because it's about this North Carolina woman who moves to New York, becomes a chef, and she decides to move back. And she never thought she'd move back. And it's about her rediscovering. So every episode is her doing some dish but she's going to the local grandma or whoever else that's been doing that dish. Like one of them is a soured cabbage from a barrel and people that are still doing that in these, you know, what we would, you know, often would be considered as just, you know, uh, poor food in America. And she's kind of rediscovering, wow, this is this incredible thing. And so you kind of get the, the story of the South mixed with kind of these new themes. Um, but you know, you say ZU and, you know, ZU is, is originally from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And if you think about Vietnamese food, which is incredible, uh, one of the biggest Vietnamese food that people know, and I'm, I'll butcher the name, but it's the, the Vietnamese sandwiches with the, on the yeah. French rolls. Banh mi, banh mi. Banh mi. So, okay, that, that's a, that is a cultural, that points towards their cultural heritage, which actually has a lot of pain involved with French colonialism, right? And yeah, so there's, yeah. there's just all those things France. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. there's no other way to make that sandwich without the French. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the, 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 right there is a huge lesson is that culture is not static, right? Cultures, yeah. languages, foods are always changing. They're mixing together with other, I mean, so right now you have, you have like in the States, uh, which, you know, because, you know, is a is an incredible place because you have so many cultures and peoples coming together. So you, you have that guy Roy Choi out in in California who invented Korean tacos. Yeah, he right. mixed he mixed Korean food with with Mexican food because that was his experience growing up. He was right. grew up in a, in multicultural Los Angeles. His friends that's what they were all eating, and they he was the guy who was smart enough to go in. These things could go really good, you know. And, yeah, and, and break down. It's so you know what you're seeing. It I think. Cultures are all constantly changed, but you see that most in food because everyone's borrowing or stealing from, from someone else, either on purpose or by accident. So, 
uh, yeah, it's fast. So, so the, the, the last theory, and maybe this will be food for thought fodder for another time. Uh, I am, I am fairly convinced that some of the best food comes from the poorest places. Oh yes. And, and so that is a, I use that in, in thinking about my life as a paradigm to how I'm developing character that my best character comes from the most difficult times. Like yeah. it, the, the out of difficulty is something, something really beautiful can be produced. Um, yeah. Which actually is, as we close, cause we, we need, we've, we said we were going to do, I don't know how long we said we were going to do, but I'm pretty sure we went over that. And um, yeah, sorry. So, guys. so now, <laughs> so now listening to the first, uh, first edition of this podcast has become like any sermon that I've ever given. Uh, people in the audience start going, when is he stopping? When are they going to stop? Yeah, we, we should stop. We, the problem is you and I could talk. Probably forever. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, but anyway, so so the 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 I don't even remember. Wh- See, this is this is where this is going, right? I I got completely sidetracked with a different thought. So whatever I was going to say is no longer important. Uh, listen, Garrick, this has been fun. Uh, yes, I I'm looking forward good. to doing it more. Looking forward to uh, getting some guests on here, people that we think are interesting, uh, and uh, hopefully maybe some people that other people think are interesting too. Yeah. Maybe we're not so, uh, our interests maybe hopefully intersect with other people's interests. Uh, you guys take care in Spain. Yeah, uh, you do it in Sweden. Yeah, we'll do, man. Uh, praying for the world, praying for y'all. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch Likewise. you at the next one. Awesome. Thanks, man.